0: Welcome to the Cash Flow Guys Podcast. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. You heard the man. This is Tyler Chef. I am the host of the Cash Flow Guys Podcast. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, in case you haven't noticed, in case you haven't gotten on my email list, which you should be, by the way, why aren't you? We are rated in the top five of all real estate podcasts in the country, which means you're in the right spot. I have a guest for you that's going to blow your doors off. He's a lot of fun, but we're also going to talk about some stuff that's not fun. And honestly, Guys, we all know nobody wants to get sued, but let's face it, if you're playing in real estate, you're eventually going to get sued. It's only a matter of time. I mean, I get threatened with lawsuits every hour having properties in South Memphis. It happens, right? Everybody's a victim. People want to slip and fall. People want to take advantage of you. People don't want to pay their bills. They don't want to pay their rent or those scumbag wholesalers want to run off with your money or the unscrupulous real estate agents want to do things they're not supposed to do. Or, God forbid, you hold seller financing for somebody and they decide they just can't pay the bill anymore because maybe you sold it to them for too much money and we're going to solve some of those issues eh? When the people, when bad boys, bad boys, what you're going to do comes hunting for you, we're going to prepare you for those type of situations. And my guest is probably listening to this cringing right now going, oh, man, he's going to, it's just too much. You know, I'm not Superman. This isn't like a, a cape of protection. But let me introduce to you, Scott Smith, new breed right? New breed, new pedigree of real estate attorney. Not a new real estate attorney, but a new breed with a great sense of humor and a gift for simplifying the complex. I've known him for a while. He actually uh, came to me. He was introduced to me through Paige Panzarello. You guys all know and love Paige, the cash flow chick. She's been on the show several times, actually. She's probably got the most popular episodes out there. And Scott works with Paige and helping Paige in the note business, setting her entities up, with which of which I'm a part of some of those. And that's how we got to know each other. We got to know each other even better this year out at FinCon. We were out in FinCon together in Orlando. His Austin startup is real Royal Legal Solutions, and they use a different take on protecting real estate investment. And they already got thousands of clients across all 50 states. So I want you to make sure that you pay attention because who is going to be on the show? He's a former litigation attorney. Scott's got a deep understanding of how lawsuits really work. More importantly, he's a real estate investor himself. Now you guys know when it comes to dealing with a with, uh, providers and team members. I love it when a team member is also a real estate investor. Matter of fact, when it comes to property management, ladies and gentlemen, they better darn sure own their own property. I won't deal with a real estate agent that doesn't own rental property. I won't deal with a mortgage broker who doesn't own rental property. Although not every one of my attorneys owns property, this one does, and that excites me. So he's got properties in over 10 states. We'll probably talk briefly about that. And now he's going to share his information with the world. He's committed to helping other real estate investors protect their futures. Get ready to take your game to the next level. Scott, welcome to the show.
1: Tyler, it is phenomenal to be here today. I am so excited to share with you and the audience um, here about what are the game-changing ways that we can really look at asset protection in a new light that simplifies our lives. Lives uh, makes us be secure that with our with our futures to know that what we're building now is going to be able to last and be invulnerable to to threats from lawsuits and other things that can happen to us. I um, mean, really, just help people move from uh, avoiding a situation that happened to somebody I knew, where they you know they had property in their own name. He had over 3 million dollars in assets and he had insurance in place and he thought that he was protected with his insurance policy and one lawsuit had him losing over 3 million dollars of his real estate and just in a blink of an eye it vanished from him and he could have solved that really easily and simply if he would have just been proactive. And that's really the name of the game of what of what we do is that the law protects the proactive investor and um later in this episode I'm going to be opening up the kimono and showing you guys the ins and outs and the details of how this stuff works and why it
0: works. Uh, I can't wait to tell you more about it. That's exciting. And now I'm going to give a shout out to my CPA, Charles Shapiro. And and Charles is not a believer in necessarily asset protection. He's a believer in insurance, which always makes me cringe. I'm like, Charles, someday you're going to get sued beyond the limits of your insurance. And then what are you going to do? They're going to come clean you out in your little red car. I'm telling you. So I love the fact that we're going to talk about how to protect ourselves from getting beat up by uh, the bad people. I, I think that kind of starts with making yourself somewhat invisible. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, you know, the number one, uh, thing that you have to do to stop lawsuits is to be able to hide the assets and hide your ownership of the company structure. If you don't look like you own things, all of a sudden you find that lawsuits just don't get filed because lawsuits are a business with attorneys getting paid on commission for things that you know they win. Um, and so if it looks like you're not a good target for it because all of your assets are hidden from the public record, making yourself legally invisible is the number one thing you need to do because when you look like you don't own assets and they can't find them when they're looking to sue you, all of a sudden you find that lawsuits just don't get filed. I mean, think about it. You're only really going to sue people if you think that they have something uh, that you can take from them, right? Yeah. So what we do is we make it where you look now like you're somebody that doesn't own anything. You qualify for food stamps and people that look like they qualify for food stamps, you know, just don't
0: get sued. I like that a lot. And you're absolutely right. I mean, I, you know, having some of the properties I have are in some sketchy areas, let's say, and you know, lesson learned. I <laughs> won't do that again. But I've heard that. I mean, when, when we hear from back from the tenants, they're, they're. I know you're, you're a rich man. I'm going to clean you out and take everything you got. It's like, really? How do you know I'm a rich guy? Uh, I'm just poor guy in a broken down pickup truck.
1: Exactly right And what we're really looking at is not necessarily just that tenant right We're looking at every single attorney that that tenant or anybody else um, that you got into like an, a car accident, that would exceed the limits of liability in your car insurance policy. Um, all of those people are all going to go to an attorney. And the first thing those attorneys are going to do is start running public record searches, right? Through DataTree and other, some of these private investigator softwares that we used to help expose our own clients' vulnerabilities to make sure they're fully protected. And what they find when they do that is all of a sudden you don't come up owning anything, right? So the attorney's best information before that attorney decides to take a case on contingency, means that they're risking everything to get paid a commission, right. is to find out that what you have, and so if you really can make it where it looks like a really bad business decision for the attorneys, then all of a sudden you find the lawsuits don't happen. Because the attorneys are the ones that you really have to think about and um, these scenarios because they're the ones that are really making the lawsuits happen, right?
0: Exactly. And so you go through that process and I like that data, data tree, Ben, I'm telling you, that's kind of a little ninja secret there. I dig that.
1: Yeah. That's the data tree is a super ninja secret, especially for real estate investors trying to find out who actually, you know, how do you contact uh, property owners if you want to buy their their piece of property too. I use that a lot for my my investing side.
0: I'll be taking, I'll be looking into that either. They, they look, they can't find anything the, from an attorney's perspective, especially working on a contingency, unless you've got like just a kind of to paraphrase what you're saying, if I don't look like a big target, if I'm not an easy target, if I don't have anything, if I look like a popper, then they're not going to waste their time taking the case or they're going to reply and say, give me 10 grand retainer and then I'll go sue this guy.
1: Exactly right. And so what you find in that those scenarios is that in most scenario- uh, cases, what they do is they look to try to see who's an easier target. You yourself don't have to become totally invincible from every possible threat. All you have right. to do essentially is make it look like you're just a little bit harder to eat than the next guy because these guys don't just have one case. They get hundreds of cases, right? So if you just look really, really difficult and you and we put legal structures in place, which does make it really difficult, that dissuades them every step of the way. It makes it more difficult to come after you, makes it much more expensive, much more time consuming make sure that they only get paid out after a very long period of time, that they'd have to fight you for years. All of these things make them go like, nope, I'm not going to go after that guy. I'm going after this other person who has all the properties and all of their money in their personal name. They just have an insurance policy in place. I think I can file a claim that's related to fraud so we can get around that insurance policy, put a lot of uh, leverage over them and threaten them. So that way they have to come to the table with a big settlement because if they don't, then we're going to take them for everything they own. And I think that's what a lot of CPAs and other people don't really understand is that it's not not asset protection or insurance. You really need both. They actually right. protect you from different kinds of risks. Um, and, and one thing the clients always ask me, about, I say, well, my CPA says this or that or whatever. And I was like, that's great. When you have a lawsuit against you, who are you going to come to to help you? Exactly. <laughs> Is it going to be your CPA that's going to come defend you in court? Because uh, it, it does happen, right? Just because you have insurance doesn't mean you don't end up being an ancillary lawsuit. I don't, really, I don't really understand what CPAs and other people are saying when they say that. I know that
0: when I have a really big bill, like, you know, a payout to a to a, a, a plaintiff, <laughs> or <laughs> that's yeah. tax deductible. So my CPA would come in for that part anyway and say, "Is that a tax write off? I just had to give this guy three million dollars. I don't know." Is that a
1: tax? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Thank you for helping me get that huge tax write off. Right. right. Can yeah. we
0: appreciate that somehow? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, it really is the case, you know, and it's really funny because, you you know, you get, I hear a lot of this online, right? And it's about like, what should I do the insurance? Should I do asset protection with it? Um, and, and the reality is, is that you want insurance in place, you know, because insurance is going to protect you against the 80% of bad things that happen. It gets rid of the really nuisance lawsuits and insurance companies are great at doing that. But what you find is that whenever, anytime there's a big claim, you know, like Grandma falls through the stairs on one of your properties, right? And now she's permanently disabled. All of a sudden, the insurance company um, can deny coverage, and they'll say that it's gross negligence, which really just means an accident that you should have known could have happened, right? right? I don't even know what that really means, but that's what that that's what they say, right? That's the case. It would be an accident. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like you should have known that accident was happening. It's like, yeah, but how could I have? Because it's an accident, you know. Um, but anyway, that's what they say, and then they don't have to pay you, and then you have to defend yourself from a lawsuit from Grandma and then you have to turn around and sue your own insurance company while you're paying for everything out of pocket, like the full time, right? With asset protection in place, you're never in that kind of position because your worst case scenario is that you're going to lose very to little and your maximum you would lose from a lawsuit like that is just that one property. They couldn't touch all of your other assets and they couldn't touch any of your other properties if it's properly structured.
0: So, okay, for the anonymity piece, are you strictly using like one particular strategy? Are you using like maybe land trusts and a version of corporations or, or is its it, is it- different for different people. Yeah.
1: So I like to use a land trust for all of my anonymity um, that complies at the property level. And the reason why is actually threefold. One is that you can take the trust, create it. It's a private document. Nobody knows who the beneficiaries or the owner of the trust. So now it's anonymous there. Anything that relates to the trust all comes back to a law firm and a law office. So now the ownership is all protected by attorney-client privilege. And when you transfer the property from your personal name or um, an LLC into the land trust, uh, you get to avoid the due on sale clause because uh, banks generally don't review any type of transfer to a land trust because of all of the rules that pertain to estate planning purposes. So they just don't review them at all. I've never had a client in over five years that transferred a property to a land trust get a letter from a bank around due on sale clause or any issue associated with that. So it's really the best possible way to transfer the asset uh, to be able to create the anonymity. But anonymity is really the first step. And that's a very important step. Um, but with just the land trust alone, you don't actually have any real protection. You only have anonymity. You need to combine the land trust with an LLC structure or even better, a series LLC structure, or if you're in California, a Delaware Statutory Trust to create the anonymity and the asset protection, which makes it where you're not only anonymous, but if anybody sues you, they can't get to any of your assets.
0: Okay. Now, you mentioned in California, Delaware Statutory Trust, which I know since Page is based in California and the business in which the entities that we buy notes in are all California-based entities, not to give give too much information on that as far as our paci- Specifics, but why is it a statutory trust for California versus? series LLC everywhere else? What's the difference there? Because I know a lot of my listeners come from California.
1: Yeah. So um, with series LLCs and DSTs, so series LLCs are great for the 49 states um, because what uh, what both of these structures allow you to do is to create one parent, either a series LLC or a DST. And each one of those can create an infinite number of what we call child series. They're private documents. They're free to create. You can create them on your own desktop, but each one works just like it's its own company just like it's its own LLC. So for that works great for the other 49 states with the series LLC. Um, But with the DST is is for California because uh, we want to avoid franchise taxes, right? That's the big hit for California investors is that if they are California resident no matter where you own an LLC inside of the United States, you're subject to an $800 per year uh, franchise tax. If you just look at the FTB rules, and I have opinion letters with the firm that spells all this out more clearly, um, because I've had to have this fight with a number of attorneys across the country. Um, But uh, if you use a DST, you get even better asset protection than the series LLC, and you get to avoid all the franchise taxes, and you get to compartmentalize every single asset. So if there's a lawsuit against one, it can't go after any of the others. You get to create the anonymity that you're looking for. You get to run everything through one bank account. You know, there's one tax return. Um, there's one set of books that you get to keep and you just tag the money that belongs to each individual property in your QuickBooks. Um, you know, as this much money belongs to property A, this income and expenses belongs to property B, C, D, etc. It's very streamlined and very cost effective. Um, especially for the, uh, the California investor that owns two plus properties.
0: So I want that brings another question. You've got this, this, uh, Delaware Statutory Trust. Delaware, I don't know why I can't say it. Delaware Statutory Trust. I say that five times fast. Yeah. Um, but you have that. And you, like you said, you run one bank account and you tag the expenses. So let's say I've got apartment A and apartment B, two different properties, two different states, but I'm commingling. I'm putting the funds in, in the same account and I'm tagging the funds, as you said, individually. Now I get sued. Apartment B, I get sued and, and they come after me. They can't leverage that bank account with this structure?
1: Yeah. So what happens is, is when you're talking about legal commingling, which is, is I think what we're hinting at here is what we're really talking about is, is can we know which money belongs to which entity? Right. Right. And that's what the court's really trying to say. If you can't tell us that or show us that you have documentation to prove it, um, then we're going to say those are legal commingled. You're really treating it as one entity. Right. Right. However, I, Bank accounts are some evidence, but the best evidence that we can find is actually what the accounting records themselves are. That's going to show every dollar in and how you attributed it to each entity. So think of this in um, a different context and it becomes a lot easier, I think, to, to grab a hold of the power of this. If I try to sue a property manager that has say 50 properties and 50 clients underneath them, right? right. When I sue them and I say, well, actually I want to take all that money in your bank account. Well, they have one account, right? right. That it, but it's actually not any of their money. It belongs to all of these different people and they can prove it. How do they prove it? It's with the accounting record. And that's how they show that none of it's their money, right? It's the same thing in this context. You can have one bank account as long as you have um, your accounting records reflect money and ex- income and expenses that belong to each individual property. Um some people don't feel comfortable with that, right? And they say, "Well, I don't really want to have one bank account. I want to have one bank account for each individual property." Cool. You can do that. It just adds a little bit more of complexity to your life, right? And so what I'm all about is saying, how can we streamline things to give you all the benefits and none of the work? And how would we do that, right? Um but of course, we can always build in all these other pieces for, you know, for anybody that's like, "Well, I just I just feel more comfortable that way." Fine. Yeah, we I'm happy to do that. Let's let's do something you're going to feel comfortable with at the end of the day this is about creating peace of mind for you and consistency so that way you don't have to worry about this stuff you can just focus on investing and living your life
0: well i think that the way the more you understand what what's being set up for you as a client from a client's perspective from my chair the more i understand it like this like i do now with this show the better i can stick with the program so to speak
1: yeah 100 and th- and that's what we're all about um, we take every client that comes in we have a consultation with them we, we spend an hour with them to walk them through what's their exact scenario here's a customized plan of what they need. Um, and then what we do is we have a, mem- a small membership to the firm where we take care of all of the maintenance for all of the registered agents, their business addresses, everything from start to finish with the maintenance of all their companies and trusts and um, provide them unlimited ongoing support about their real estate um, or any legal questions they have on an unlimited ongoing basis by phone or email. So that way the idea here is to be able to offload everything onto us we serve as a professional resource for any questions that you have being expe- experienced you know attorneys as well as real estate investors right. and then it, i think what's great from a client perspective is all they have to do is maintain their books keep track of the money and focus on investing or doing whatever else they want to if they have any questions you don't have to go to bigger pockets or just start googling around you just pick up the phone and get the answers you need
0: very very interesting so okay to double back to the dst i get sued for a hundred, let's say just say a hundred grand, I throw a number out there and they can latch on to, I don't know, 20 grand of my money. And so they'll lose an $80,000 deficiency. And I have a DST for this property. This property is in a DST. Does that mean that the liability essentially or the, what, what about the other 80 grand? How can they go about getting another 80 grand or, or am I protected from that other 80 grand? Yeah,
1: it depends upon how they ended up trying to sue you, right? So um, one thing we need to to talk about in in this context also is that like, how do you live like a rich person? And what rich people do is they don't actually own anything. They only have companies that own things and then they control, they don't own a yacht, right? They have an LLC that would own a yacht. So what would happen in this area for you, Tyler, is that let's say you get into the car accident that exceeds the limits of liability of your car insurance policy. They would turn around and sue you because you were the driver of the vehicle. When they sue you though, they get a judgment against you. But what do you have in your name anymore? Zero. Right. Why? Because you protected everything inside of your DST. And so wow. Tyler doesn't own any assets anymore. So Tyler, they can put that judgment against you. You don't have to pay him out anything. Now, but let's take a different scenario and say it's grandma that fell through the staircase, right? And she's now catastrophically injured and the insurance company now denied coverage. So this is your doomsday scenario, right? right. If you had all the properties in your personal name you, and you didn't have any asset protection in place and that happens, you should be looking at getting financially wiped out completely. However, if you have the asset protection and the DST in place, what happens is grandma actually sues the property owner, which is the individual land trust and child series of your DST. and And let's say you lose that lawsuit, grandma's recovery is limited to that one property she can't touch any of your other assets like your stocks and your cash and all of your other great things that are held inside the DST. And she can't touch any of your other properties or your notes or anything like that. So then it's like, okay, that's a, a loss you can really weather and probably doesn't even affect your life much at all.
0: So I, so just to kind of recap, we number one, first layer of protection is we try to become as anonymous as possible. So when people get on data tree, they don't see a whole lot there to be had or if, if, preferably nothing. Mm-hmm. And then you structure your entities. DST if you're in California and series LLC, if you're not correct. Yep. That's right. So you provide better concealment of the, and protection for the individual items. What about like personal stuff? And when you say take ownership, do you, I mean, let's say you want to buy, I don't know, big screen TV. Does it, become owned by the, the uh, corporation or the trust rather, or is it you do a personal property trust or is this the same as a personal property trust or similar? To?
1: Yeah. So um, with these entity structures, whether it's a series LLC or a DST, you can form them in one state, like series LLCs in Nevada, Texas, um, uh, Delaware, and, and those are going to be the best states for charging order protection and actually give you good asset protection, but you right. can use them in any state in the country. Same with the DST. DSTs we just use for California uh, for the franchise tax purposes, and they're a little bit more expensive to create, which is why they're... Are a little bit more niche, and we don't just use them everywhere. Um, But for property, they can hold any type of property you want. The question really becomes is you know what does it make sense in terms of transferring assets to the property? Most of the time, I usually think of you know is this something that somebody would actually be able to try to come and take from me? You know, and and those are things that I'm going to move inside of my DST. Right? Um, If it's something like I just you know you know bought a, a a used car that's worth 500 bucks, you know, because I want to go rally car driving on the weekend. Right? Yeah, probably not. Right. Because that's something that I'm okay losing. And I'm like, I'm not going to spend all the, I'm not going to have to try to transfer titles into the DST and and go through all those pieces. So we really are thinking more like, you know, real estate, your stocks, your cash, you know, valuables, probably not your car, but if you had a car collection, you know, you want to put that in there. That's kind of the
0: flow. Could the ownership of a bank account be tied to a DST? Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Okay. So your DS, you would just retitle it. Whether you have um, your brokerage account or your bank accounts, right. now it just become retitled into the name of the DST. Therefore, you're able to. That's how you would transfer ownership uh, from your personal name into it. And it's, it's a very fairly simple process um, that we walk people through. Part of what we do is a one stop shop. Very
0: interesting. Now, as far as what it gets down to, is basically, you do a consultation, right? To get the, the ball process started you kind of figure out what our needs are in other words you know tyler where do you live i live in california good then we're going to go this route with you and then how many assets do you own is that kind of how it goes and then you lay out the price, or is it like just like menu cost for different people? Is or you know that's what I'm trying to figure out.
1: Yeah, for sure, right. Well, this is one of those things to try to figure out. It's like how much does all this stuff cost, and it really depends upon um, the the person and what they actually have, right? So if you only have like one property and you're living in California, that's different than somebody has ten properties, and that's really different from somebody that says, "Well, actually, I also need estate planning, and I want to use solo four hundred and one k options for my tax savings." You know, it depends upon the scope of what uh, people have that you know, really defines like what it is that they really need. So typically what we do is we walk through the consultation and then say, okay, well, here's all the things that I see that are benefits that you could use. And then we work with the client to see like what they can afford now versus later, what makes sense. All of these things can build. So you can always start at one level and then build up over time. Um, So you don't have to have, you know, a $15,000 plan put in place on day one, right? is we also work with clients that don't have any real estate properties, but they know they're going to be getting some here in the next year. And they want to start and lay those foundations and get comfortable with all the legal and tax strategies ahead of time so that they know that they're ready uh, whenever they're ready to pull that trigger. One thing that we have done, I think that's really effective, is we've incorporated some strategies that allow us to do a lot of tax savings for people. So that way, everything that we put in place, we project that our clients are able to pay themselves back in tax savings alone within the first two to three years. Wow. Uh, and after that, it's just money in the bank in terms of just the savings while they're getting all this amazing protection and legal support in the back end for having everything maintained for them and having a professional resource they can contact at any time.
0: Very, very interesting. Now, one of the things that I, I think about is the complexity of, let's say I'm going to go do a refinance. Now, in that case, do I have to remove it from a trust and from based on what you've seen and put it back in? Yeah.
1: That's a great question and that's what you would always do. You want to refinance properties and finance properties and close on them always within your personal name or a single purpose LLC and then transfer it into your asset holding company because that's how you're going to get the best financing rate and that's going to be the easiest way to close on the loan. Now what that means though is that your name is always going to appear on the chain of title um, for being a prior owner but what we do is we structure the transfer so, such that when it's transferred into the trust, it looks like it's a sale from you into the trust uh, to sell it to investors, right? So as if you closed on it as like a credit sponsor, um, and then you're moving it into the trust, and then the trust is private, but it's going to look like it's being chopped up to sold to a lot of beneficiaries for how we do the transfer. Now, somebody might guess that that's what you did, right? They said, oh, I, I think that's somebody that heard Scott on the radio and that they're doing this sneaky asset protection and anonymity piece. Well, if they guess that, that's fine. You're not actually the owner anymore. The trust is. So if they guess, they actually guess wrong. And so then they just wasted a bunch of money on that gas.
0: I see. Okay. So then they got to look at what's the likelihood of this happening. And if it's unlikely, then why would you bother wasting your time doing it? Yeah. It so, doesn't
1: really matter one way or the other, right? It's like yeah. either they, either it's not, this did happen the way it looks like it's presented on paper or it didn't but the result is the same which is I got nothing
0: that's cool i'd kind of dig that yeah cuz everything you're doing you're just making it more difficult and like you said, the guy's not going to, attorney or guy or girl's not going to chase this thing if there's not a payday at the back end of it. That would be stupid. Otherwise, they're going to need that $10,000 retainer to make it worthwhile.
1: Exactly. Right. And then you put the plaintiff in a really bad position of having to come up with $10,000 to run their own gamble. And remember, it's not just ever $10,000 with an attorney's, right? It's usually $10,000 to start and it's unlimited how much it could be. Exactly. So most people are like, eh, I don't ever want to, I don't want to get into that game where I just start shelling out bucks with no end. You know, that's not the typical client you run into. So you just have to really fight off these attorneys, these sharky attorneys that are out there that you see on TV and radio and whatnot that are just hungry for lawsuits. And one thing a lot of people don't know too is that that during economic downtimes, lawsuits actually spike because people have less economic opportunity, right? Right. They're struggling, right? right? So what do they do? They find ways to take money from other people. And so in every time period that we ever have economic downturn, litigation skyrockets. Also, attorneys aren't making as much money doing all the other things that they used to do while the attorney was strong. So what do they do? They turn to litigation to be able to take it from other people. So if you think that there's an economic downturn that's coming around the corner, like a lot of people do, having the structure set up now are going to be things that are going to protect you at that point when things could start looking really bad. You know what makes me kind
0: of cringe, Scott, and I'm sure it does you too, or maybe it makes you salivate because they're, be <laughs> they're creating me. <laughs> yeah, right in the market but a lot of the, a lot of syndicators out there and especially in the apartment space you always see their picture like hey we just took down scott smith acres over here in, in san antonio 264 doors yay and they're, they has got their picture in front of it it's like dude talk about becoming a target it's like you know, <laughs> congrats that you took down the building but maybe you shouldn't get so exacting with your things and I, <laughs> what's interesting about this is that people ask me constantly and it's all i keep it a mystery on purpose tyler how many doors do you have nobody will ever know except for my legal team. That's it. And my wife, that's about it. You know, Everybody wants to know what you got. Scott, how many cars do you have? And how many Harleys and how many investment properties do you have? And what's their addresses? I mean, I've had people actually ask me all this stuff, insisting on it to see if I'm qualified to be somebody that teaches other people real estate, right? It's like, I get why they're asking it, but guys, there's no way in hell you're ever going to get that information out of me. It's (laughs) not going to happen. I'm not going to make it easier for you. Yeah.
1: Honestly, like the, that type of information, what you really should be looking for in professionals that you work with are, you know, people that have an experience working with others that have a, a community around them that proves a track record of the success of the people, other people that they help. Right. So I think that's what people would be much more um, targeted to say, like, should Tyler be teaching me about real estate investing? Should really could say, well, how many people does Tyler help and how many people can I find that really rave about him and how they've helped him much more than whether Tyler Tyler's a good investor because whether Tyler's a good investor doesn't really mean that he can teach others how to do it. Right. So really, I need to find like who are his students. And that I think the same thing also applies when I hire professionals um, that help me on a daily basis with CPAs and attorneys on deals that I get involved with because I don't do my own legal work for a lot of the deals that I do. I just don't have the time because I'm so focused on helping my clients. Um, And I look for people that are in the same business I'm in. And if you're in the same business I am, and you're a professional in it, then it's kind of like being exactly what you described with with being a property manager who's also a real estate investor. They know the ins and outs, the nitty gritty details, and how the things
0: actually work in practice,
1: not just in theory. Um, and I think you, people should look for that in professionals as well as when they're trying to vet you, Tyler. On exactly. What do you do?
0: Exactly. So getting back to the the. The getting started part, they come to you, they get the interview. The, the you know, you sit down, you figure out what's next. What's the turnaround time from there? Is this like a well, I got I get that it's an it depends, right? If they've got yeah. 7,000 doors and 15 states, it's going to be one situation versus other. But theoretically, from the time somebody says, okay, I'm in, to the point to where you can say, okay, now you can sleep at night, what does that generally look like? Is that a couple months or is that a few years or what's that look
1: like? Usually about four to six weeks Okay, that's what it takes. we can turn somebody around and says that's totally wide open, has all the assets in their own name, nothing in place. They don't have an estate plan. They don't have asset protection put in place. And within six weeks, we can take them, fully form an estate plan, have that estate plan perfectly integrated with their asset holding companies. So that way, all All of the assets are protected during their life and it's protected when it passes to their heirs uh, by a living trust structure and avoids the probate process, transfer all the properties in. um, And at that point, we typically take over and handling all the maintenance. So in six weeks, you can really offload this to somebody else, have it all done and not have to ever worry about again with your estate plan and the asset protection.
0: That's pretty awesome. And what I like about your approach and what you do is that I'm a big believer and I tell my students this, guys, a, a prescription without a diagnosis is malpractice, fact. You don't see a doctor going, oh, oh, you're not feeling well? Well, then you need one, two, three anywhere pill because that'll take care of it. I mean, that's because that's what we're getting a kickback on this month. You know, and there's a lot of attorneys out there that'll be like, oh, well, you definitely need 624 LLCs and, and five trusts and this and that. And oh, oh, you don't own any property? Well, you still need all this for when you have property. You'll be all set. And I sit there and cringe going, I kid you not, Scott. I've talked to a guy recently that has spent over $10,000 in LLC creation and the dude does not even own his first property. He doesn't own a business. He's just a guy that has a W-2 job making like 75 grand a year beginning real estate investor.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that, and that's a shame, you know. And I think that's really what he's got. He's partnered with a lot of people that aren't really out to serve, you know, his interest. You know, right. and really they're out to just kind of create stuff and let him go. And I and that was one thing that was really important to me as about as starting a company that really is empowering investors to be able to be able to do more and to become better investors, not just establish another uh, company that just creates companies. You know, I it's like, that doesn't excite me at all. What really excites me is being able to, um, uh, create an opportunity for people to be able to leverage their time so they can be even more effective with what they do. And then I can actually make a really big impact for, for what we do. So it's, um, it's a shame when that happens, you know, and, um, it, you know, it, I think a lot of times what it comes down to is people need, you know, better guidance on when does it make sense? And how much should I spend on asset protection and putting these things in place? And typically what I say is if it's under a million dollars, you should only spend about 3%. It's a 3% rule if you're under a million dollars on how much you should be looking to spend um, for your total net assets. So that's okay. if you sold all your properties and you just had a bunch of cash, how much would that be? Take 3% of that and say, that should be my budget to spend one time as a one-time cost and that'll last me for the rest of my life. Once you get over a million dollars, I'm typically looking at it saying like, a, yeah, you're about at a one percenter, you know? Okay. You should probably look to spend about 1%. So once you start looking like you're over a million, 1.5 million, that's when you should start thinking about, you know, covering that last 5% of risk. So if you said, you know, um, L- a series LLC or a DST with all the anonymity in place gets me 95 you know, percent protected. Right. And I'm covering 9% there. Then it's actually worth another big chunk of money because I have so much money you know, it's probably worth an extra twenty, thirty thousand dollars to establish an offshore trust. Right. To say that's my real ultimate doomsday button, you know, go at it. Why? Because it's worth a, a one time cost of, you know, twenty to thirty thousand dollars to protect one point five million, right? right? Always.
0: Yeah, that's a drop in the bucket when you're talking about that kind of change. Now, if you're the guy that's got 10 grand worth of investments, that's a whole different story. <laughs> no,
1: yeah, if it's 10 grand worth of investments, you probably shouldn't do any protection at all. Maybe right. a land trust, right? right. Stick with your five hundred dollar option. Right. Right? That's where we look at those rules. Like, you know, 3% for under a million, you know, look at 1% once you get over a million.
0: So my takeaway from that is guys, there's no boilerplate. And anytime that I hear people going with a boilerplate, I immediately say, well, I would go ahead and get a second opinion. Just like going to a doctor, have them take another peek, have talk to somebody who actually asks questions. Just like I teach my my listeners, Scott, about CPAs. If you're going to a CPA and they're doing all the talking and they're not asking questions, then you've got a problem. You'd find a different CPA. Same thing with, with legal, in my opinion. Yeah, the, the, the attorney should be asking questions to garner a good understanding of what's going on with my setup, what I have, what I plan to have, where I'm going, and then you can build a plan. That's where the prescription with the diagnosis comes in. You build a plan that fits Tyler and Jill not just a plan that fits anybody that rolls through the, the the guru meeting, so to speak.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really important to have a plan. And you really want, you know, with any professional that you hire, um, you want them to not only be thorough, um, you want them to be in the same, making money the same way that you make money. Um, and then you also want somebody who's also understanding what are the actual the time costs as well as the money costs, right? I think we all have a pretty good understanding of what money costs look like, right? Because that comes right down to our balance sheets, right? Right. Well, what a lot of people I don't think respect enough is how much more of their time they actually can spend and how much the time costs of a lot of the options they choose are, right? Right. So for example, I'll see um, a lot of providers out there and some of my clients that'll come to me um, that have gone to those people before and they'll have tons of LLCs that are all over the country. They have all kinds of... um, you know, yearly fees and and different paperwork they have to file each every year, or sometimes every quarter, with some of these LLCs. And it and the time, the money cost is it's bigger than what it should be. You know, we have more streamlined uh, options that allow them to reduce the overall upfront and yearly fees. Um, but the really big savings is actually in how much time they have to put into being able to manage the structure. And for me, I'm always looking at saying, how can I create more time for myself? And I'm always looking for those solutions that are more time-oriented. So I want solutions that are going to be that are going to be streamlined. Uh, so I would say that it's just like a, the word to the wise: there is don't look at just how much money things cost. Also look at how much of your time it steals and costs you, and how much you have to worry about it, and maintain it, and think about it um, on a monthly, yearly, or quarterly basis.
0: Well, in that and and you know, it's like sometimes it's. <laughs> I see this a lot on Facebook and the different social media posts. Is that nobody people will avoid asking an attorney or a CPA a question, but they will ask any idiot on a Facebook group, and they get fifteen different responses. And the worst part is they'll take the advice of the completely unqualified person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know guys that do their own LLCs, and they're like, "I can do it myself for one hundred and twenty dollars in the state of Florida." Right? When was the last time you did one? About six years ago, and you've kept up with your your all your documentation and your T's across the I's are dotted, your, your minutes, your meetings, all that good stuff, right? What do you mean? Okay, that answered my question. So really what you don't have is an entity, buddy, because I'm not an attorney and I guarantee you I could defeat that in court. <laughs> yeah, you know. that's how it
1: happens. That's it. It's because a lot, a lot of, for a lot of people, they'll say, well, like, I can do it on my own. And they're usually pretty confident about that, but they're confident in their, in their ability to only have limited knowledge. Right. right? And so they actually just don't know the scope of the full scope of the risks.
0: I know so, a guy yeah. that does his own taxes. He's done well. He doesn't do anymore, but I finally, cause I finally beat him up bad enough where he stopped doing it. But this idiot goes out and do, keeps doing his taxes over and over and over again, racks himself up a hundred grand in tax liens. Cause he doesn't know how to do his taxes. Why? Cause he's not a CPA. <laughs> it's funny, yeah. like, two years ago. I'm like, so are you just going to go to jail and sit there or are you going to pull your head <laughs> out of your ass and hire a CPA? How much does a CPA cost? A couple grand. It's nothing right? Yeah.
1: And well, a good CPA should actually save you money, right? Like if your CPA is not saving you money or being able to give you strategic advice on your business, then you probably don't have the right CPA. You're probably just hired somebody that can file a return for you, which is, you know, if you're an investor, you you need somebody that's going to be better than that.
0: Recently, I was asked on a podcast interview how much I spend for legal and how much I spend for uh, tax prep and, and with my CPAs. Per year in the in the company. And my answer was zero. And of course, the guy, the guy got he didn't expect that one. I'm like, I don't, because neither entity, neither, neither service cost me a dime. Not once. I mean, I'm a move, I'm a target. We have a lot of property. We got different assets, different things going on. We're out there in public, right? I'm probably not making everybody in the world happy on the podcast. (laughs) I'm sure there's a few people I'm gonna piss off at some point or another, right? (laughs) Because it's just yeah, the the beast. You guys legal and, and taxation you're you're absolutely free to me, whatever it costs is what it costs because it's like having insurance. I love it so
1: yeah I think that's it's, it's a, a really important piece to have you know those put in place there that's a really great outlook of it i haven't quite looked at it the same way in, um, in a while, and I think that's you know dead on um, I, I think that there's also probably out there just like a ton of really bad providers yeah. that are able to talk to people. Um, just generally, you know, convince them to, to fork over a bunch of money into for something that they don't really understand, and then say, um, Okay, yeah, well, I'm taking care of this now. And they really don't do a whole lot, right? right. I think that's probably from um, most real estate investors that I've worked with before. And that's why I launched Royal Legal Solutions. That's what their experience was, which made them really hesitant to hire professionals because they're like, Am I really getting ripped off because I just don't understand what's going on? Right. Um, and that's really the bedrock of um, what. Maybe launch Royal Legal Solutions is because I wanted to create a company where we were education first. And it was education centric on let's open up and show everybody how all of these pieces works, explained it from start to finish. And I got to tell you, I got railed by other attorneys and my own customers for doing it because they said, Scott, you give away too much information. You're showing everybody every step of exactly everything you do and everybody's just going to rip you off because this thing is 10 times better than what anybody can find. It's so niche and it's so powerful. Real estate investors once people find out about this, everybody's going to adopt it. And now you have lost all of your marketing edge and and like that, right? And I said, well, that's fine. I'm actually really okay with that because if I have done that and everybody did that, that means everybody is doing so much better. And I'm okay with like creating amazing ideas that change the world because that's actually to me a bigger gift than making money, right? Um, Into it. So uh, I've always had that as a bedrock for what's important to me. And we really work really hard to make sure that everybody understands um, all of the complexity in a way that they can, right. Everybody's a little different, right. Some people need things a little bit more simple. Yep. Some people really want to know like all the technical ins and outs, you know, of, of how things work. And so whatever your, whatever level people are at when they come into us, you know, we're able to educate them, um, to the extent that they feel comfortable. Cause it's just that important to me. And no matter how educated you want to be, um, then that's just how, what we're able to do for you. And there's no extra cost for that. Or if you just want to come in and say, Hey, you guys take care of all of it. You just let me know what I need to do and what documents I need to sign. And you guys are great. And I trust you just to go ahead and do it. That's cool too.
0: I love that. You know, when you base it in education, I'm a huge believer in the educated customer as a happy customer. And I do the same thing. I raise money for a living, right? I raise money and invest in real estate with with other people's money. And when I'm around other people that do what I do, I was recently on a, a a call where they were basically going over the, the breakdown of a deal and they were looking for people to raise capital. And what I found is that when I told them what I go through with each one of my investors, they, what, I fully understand why they're investing, why they chose real estate and versus something else. I understand their tax situation, where they are. I know if they have what type of legal team they have in place, what type of tax team they have in place. I know all these things about all of my clients. Because then I can take and provide them a service that matches exactly what they need and they understand it, which means I don't have to go into deep explanation because I first take the time to educate them. And I think that's a big part of it, of th- going into things. And what was interesting about this, though, is that my counterparts, the other folks that raise money for a living that were on this call, looked at me like I had three heads. They're like, such like you with the other attorneys. Like, I can't, you are way over-educating these people. They're, go- they're not going to need you if you keep educating like that. I'm like, oh, contraire. They absolutely need me. Because I'm the one that's bringing the opportunity in the first place. I want them to understand the ins and outs of how this works. I want them to know who my team is. Like if I bring you on the show, right? Um, I I bring Sean Yesner in for the bankruptcy law and things like that. I bring, I expose the people that are on my team to my clients. So they, so of course they can call you directly. Why wouldn't they, right? That just makes good sense. That's how you do good business. And if you don't, you can't work with them, Then maybe I know that you would refer them to somebody that can. And that's kind of how this whole thing works. So I love that.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, it's if you, you got to be able to make sure that you keep um, you know, what's good for everybody else at a paramount of what you do. For me, that's just kind of what makes life kind of worth living. You know, uh, ma- money really isn't really all that important. You know, the grand scheme of things, there's a ton of people that have a ton of money and they're totally miserable. Yes. The people that are generous, the people that help other people, those people have great lives. They feel fulfilled, they're happy. Um, they have friendships and connections. Um, and so really the ultimate end of this game really can't be money centric. It really has to be like, what's the best life, you know? And I think if we can adopt that as a culture into how we run our businesses, um, then you're also going to find that these are the types of businesses that have huge longevity, um, have permanence, um, and that also that have people that work for them and with them um, that really love being there and doing it. Um, and And really what it also takes too is that type of transparency, openness, um, and when you 're trying to do things like what we do, which is you know we 're at the the top you know one to two percent of what information exists for real estate investors and we 're educating people on it um, and you have so many other providers out there that are using methods that are outdated, that they're way too expensive, that there's new right. technology inside of series LLCs and DSTs and land trusts that they just don't use. And so I said, well, if we're going to be at the forefront of what we do, we have to be able to show everybody what it is, why this is better. We can't just tell them, you know, exactly. expect them to believe us. Um, and so that's why, you know, I think the education really becomes really important, um, just like it is, I'm sure, in your field where it's like, hey, if you really want people to believe them, you really got to give them all of it and yes, then let do. them make it decide.
0: And you, what you do, and by doing that, Scott, as you well realize, is that you eliminate any competition you would possibly have. Because if I call if I call another asset protection attorney on the phone right now, I'm probably going to get their secretary. I'm going to maybe get put on hold. I actually had one reach out to me a couple weeks ago, wanting all my download stats and uh, to know if if to see if I'm worthy for them to be on my show. I'm like, um, whoa, 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 (laughs) whoa, stop the presses. That's they didn't
1: know you were top five, Tyler. Exactly. They didn't, they didn't listen to this episode.
0: It's like, didn't you hear the part where I don't care if you got a law degree. If you're a dick, you're not coming on my show. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> There's no value for you there, schmuck. <laughs> so yeah. This is
1: only the cool people zone. That's all exactly. we're interested in hanging out with the cool people. If you're a dick, just don't even bother.
0: Right. I have an absolute no jackass policy. <laughs> 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 That's
1: rule number one. Yeah. Seriously.
0: Yeah. I mean, who just has time anymore?
1: You know, if you're a builder out there and you're really doing great things and stuff, you just don't have time for people that are toxic.
0: No. Yeah. It's
1: just, I don't have any time for that. Yeah. Next. (laughs) Yeah. Next. I'll go help somebody else because there's a ton of people out there that need it. So there
0: we go. Yeah. Scott, speaking of which, I appreciate you taking the time to come on the show and add value to the audience. I really do. Best way for people to reach out to you. I'll put your contact information in the show notes, but what's your preferred method? Do you go through your website, social media? What's that look like?
1: Yeah. So I would either say go to um, That We have a top 10 things every real estate investor needs to know to protect their assets. Free ebook um, nice. on there. You're going to love that. If you text in Royal, R-O-Y-A-L uh, to 474747, um, we're also going to send you a link so you can go ahead and grab a hold of that free ebook You know, really easily. Um, you can call us at the 512-757- 3994. Um, or you can email me at scott, S-C-O-T-T, at com, And we'll get you set up, get you a ton of free information uh, just for contacting us. And if it makes sense for you, I'd love to sit down with you in a consultation and walk you through a customized plan of exactly what you need to do now and for the next five to 10 years to protect your
0: assets. Outstanding. Now, once again, that was text ROYAL to 474747,
1: was it? That's it. Yep. Or you can just hop onto the royallegalsolutions.com uh, website or the phone number at 512-757-3994.
0: Outstanding. Ladies and gentlemen, if you are on, thanks again for have coming on the show, Scott. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, Tyler. It's awesome to be here, man. I hope we have a chance to do it again soon. We this absolutely
0: really cool. will. We absolutely will. Ladies and gentlemen, you heard the man. You know how to reach out to him. The information that he just gave you will be in the show notes. If you're driving down the road, good Lord, please focus on the road. You can catch this later. It'll be down in the show notes. Send him a text. Get on the email, send him an email, get on his website, pick up the phone and give him a call. But here's the end of the end of the day, guys. You got to protect yourself, right? If you're not covering your assets, as Josh Dorkin said on uh, Bigger Pockets, I think I heard that once or twice, yep. uh, then you can, you're going to be left short. And let me tell you, guys, short story, before I wrap up this episode, I bought my youngest daughter a car for her 16th birthday. Not even 24 hours later, she slammed into somebody because she was texting and driving outside of curfew and that person had to fly to a hel- by helicopter to the hospital. Guess what? My phone rang about a week later. That was about a 24 hours after I closed on my first fourplex. I did not have asset protection in, in, at that time, and boy, did I that change my whole game! <laughs> so, again, thank you, Scott. For I appreciate it.
1: Absolutely, Tyler. Love to be here. Thank you.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to wrap this episode of the Cashflow Guys podcast. I hope you found benefit in this. I hope more importantly that you take action. It is about taking action that's going to get you financially free. Speaking of which, the Mailbox Money Mastermind group coaching is open, right? It is open. Go to MailboxMoneyCoach.com. That's MailboxMoneyCoach.com. Jill and I, my lovely wife, are going to coach you through the process, getting your money right, first of all, getting your mindset right teaching you the networking, the marketing, how to structure deals, how to negotiate. We were doing one of the inner circle calls last night with folks going through some advanced negotiating skills to help people get properties under contract number one, but more importantly, to the closing table so that mailbox money can show up in your mailbox every month. Thanks a lot for coming out, guys. We appreciate it. We'll catch up with you next week. This concludes today's episode. episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn.